I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. Okay. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so I'm, I'm sobered up, but there's still some blackouts. And um... I worked in Hyman's and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later having a good time, baby. All right. Welcome to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. That is a great intro song. I mean, and I can say it's great because I didn't create it. If I had created it and then I was like, oh, that's the best, uh, then, you know, then I, you know, I don't know. Then I'm, uh, I don't know the words, but sometimes I put together a playlist and then each song that comes on, I go, oh, this is a great song. And I say it like I didn't create the playlist, you know, but if you create a playlist and then you forgot what songs are on there and then go back and listen to it, you're like, dang, that's a good playlist. And I think that's okay to brag on yourself about a playlist you put together. Um, you know, I don't know. I got a playlist on Spotify. It's called, um, I'll tell you about it. Let's see. I'm sorry I'm chewing. Let's see. It's public. It's a public playlist I have called Dusty Slay's Country Radio. And it has 16 followers, so it is really getting some traction. But there is 231 songs on here. It's 13 hours and 43 minutes of music. And it is music that I handpicked. As I go along, I'll, I'll put a new one on and... You know, I'll have one on for a while, and then I'll I'll, I'll I'll listen to something, and I'll put a new thing on. And I'm going to say, I'm going to play uh, a song right now. I'm going to play a little bit of a song, and then I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to talk about some stuff. But there is a song that I was listening to this weekend, and I could not stop listening to it. I still can't stop listening to it. I've been singing it over and over again. And I don't, like, I don't care for the chorus. Like, I used to like to say, uh, you know, raise in hell, right? And it's like, oh, but I'm not really trying to raise hell. You know what I mean? Like, I get the expression means to, like, party. But nowadays, I try to pay attention to the words that I'm saying. Like, if I'm saying, we're raising hell, it's like, it's fine to be like, yeah, we're partying, right? But raising hell? All right, so here it is. So I'm going to play this song. This is by a guy named Cody Jinx. It's called Hippies and Cowboys. I'm only going to play some of it, but um, but it is, um, it's so good. Uh, let's see. Let's find it here. All right, here you go. There may be an ad. I hope not. Yeah, there's an ad. When school isn't a place you have to be. This is not. I didn't mean to play this. Here we go. Oh. So good. 
that's alright. I was up all night, but I passed out before the sun came up. I really wanted to see one of those. I know that's no way for a man to behave. With a mortgage due and a baby on the way, but somehow I made it to where I'm at. It's been a living, as a matter of fact. I get a bad attitude from being tired and running round. Never ask for anyone to say they like my sound. I've never been a part of any musical scenes. I ain't just talking Nashville. If you know what I mean, they don't write about me. All right, I hate to just cut it off right there, but I got. I got a podcast to do here, um, but this song is so great. I love, one of my favorite things is to think about, especially when somebody is talking about their musical career, uh, I love to think about it in terms of comedy, right? Like, and I just, I don't know, this song is so cool because this guy is just basically saying like, uh, you know, I'm just doing this my own way and I like doing it that way and that's how I feel. I mean, I always talk about not living in New York and not living in L.A. as a comic. And, uh, you know, and I don't I think those cities are fun. I don't have anything against them, but I love doing comedy at the level that I've been able to do while not living in New York and L.A. I love living in Nashville. I love lately. I've been wearing cowboy boots again. And I got to tell you, that feels good. I got cowboy boots that like go clack, 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 clack as I'm walking. And I'm like, hell yeah. You know what I mean? Like it feels good. I wear the bandana. The bandana is my mask. And uh, there's nothing like wearing a bandana mask and cowboy boots. Uh, and as soon as I, I may get a hat, I don't know. I'm really debating. I got a couple of cowboy hats, but I don't really like them as much. So I'm thinking about getting myself a Stetson. When I was in San Antonio, I was in a, a Western store trying on some Stetsons. And I'm like, I'm into that. I mean, I love it. I mean, I part of me wants to, like, move to an even more country place, like like San Antonio, like uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't know why I love Tulsa so much. I don't know. I just think I love the idea of Tulsa. but Or even Montana. I want a part of me wants to move to Butte, Montana and just, I don't know. I do love Nashville. It's exciting. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to be back to doing the Grand Old Opry soon, which is exciting. Uh, I don't know if it's confirmed. I don't know if I can talk about it, but yeah, it seems like I'll be back at the Opry in uh, November 28th. So that's pretty exciting. I was just going to try to look right now, but it's hard for me to do a bunch of things at once. But who knows what's going on these days? I was reading something about Chicago is basically shut down again, and so I'm like, well, let's see. I don't know if there's anything listed that far in advance, so maybe I can't even, maybe I shouldn't say. But I'll be there. I'll be there at some point. I'm clicking along. I'm clicking buttons here. Sometimes I'll be the only one listed because I get booked way in advance. And I'm like, uh, but yes, I'm not listed on there. But no one is. So it's going to be great. 
Uh, comedy is back. Let's do this. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. This weekend, I was in Greenwood, Indiana at a club called Gutty's Comedy Club. I had never heard of Gutty's until a few months ago. A friend of mine named Johnny W. went up there, did comedy at Gutty's. He messaged me and said, you should go do this club. So I was like, okay. And so I, I got in touch. We got it worked out. We got me booked. I went up. I did a podcast with the owners of the club called Pops and the Recon. Uh, we had a good time. Very friendly people. Uh, a guy named Jake Rubel, who I had, uh, you know, talked to um, via the internet, was going to be featuring for me. And it was just uh, the show sold out. We sold out both the Friday and the Saturday show, and I, it's just south of Indianapolis. I love Indianapolis. I've been there many times. Um, I got to see a lot of old uh, friends slash fans that had been to my shows at Crackers in the past, and I got to do Bob and Tom again, and I got to, you know, India, Indianapolis, that whole area has great cigar shops. I went to a cigar shop called The Smoke Pit, in Indianapolis, or, or in, um, in um, what's it called, Greenwood. The club was great. Let me tell you, it's a clean comedy club, right? So for me, that's awesome, because now I don't have to try to find clean hosts and clean features. It's all clean. It's great. And then they don't serve alcohol, which did throw me a little bit. When I heard that they didn't serve alcohol, I was like, oh, no, like, because I like, you know, a drunk, rowdy crowd can sometimes be the best, right? Because you can really get into it. But to be honest, the audience, it was sold out. And they just paid attention the entire time. I did like an hour. And the audience just listened to me and laughed at my jokes. Which I know that seems like that's what always happens. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes people... You're just talking up there and people are drunk and they're doing whatever. And then the check drop, check drop comes and they're like looking around and they're like, what? Look at all this money I spent. And then they're trying to do math and they got their phone lights out, shining it on the check, trying to read it. And then you lose the attention of the crowd. That didn't happen at Gutty's. I mean, it was straight up. I was straight up, did over an hour, both shows. And they just laughed the whole time. And uh, that's fun. So I had a good time at Gutty's. If you are uh, able to do, if you're a comic and you're able to do clean, uh, reach out to them. I mean, they're they're just getting going again after, you know, after the pandemic or or whatever, and uh, and so things are coming back. The world is coming back, and uh, and I'm pumped. I mean, I did hear some people talking about a third wave, and I'm like, okay, guys, how many waves? <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's wild out here. I'm having a good time. I had a great time at Gutty's. I, I, it was just a great weekend altogether. Um, and, uh, but I, I will say, I always say this about Indianapolis, and it just feels gray and cold every time I'm there. My cousins came. I got some cousins, the tallies, from my grandmother's side of, of, of the family. They came and uh, brought other family. They had been to my show in Sarasota. Actually, they came to a show in Sarasota, and then after that weekend, the shutdown happened. So they felt 
real full circle. It's like, wow, we're really back at it now. Uh, so that was exciting. And so, but I, but they said, you know, they said to me, it's not always gray and cold here. And I, and I realized that that's got to be true. It can't always be like that, but it feels like it. Even driving in on Friday, I was going into a gray cloud of darkness. And then I tried to go to a farmer's market and all they had, I drove there and they said they were open. Nobody was working there and they just had a bunch of pumpkins out there. And I was like, well, I'm trying to get some grapes. So um, I wanted to do a little bit more of a religious type podcast. I thought that would be fun. Uh, interestingly, I've been talking to people. I think it's because I've talked about stuff on the podcast before, but people have been talking to me more about religion lately. And maybe it's because I asked for people to talk to me about religion. Now, I haven't been overloaded with emails, mind you. I don't know that. And I'm not going to I'm not going to preach or anything like that, but I was, you know, um, my, uh, and I don't know how much he wants me to talk about this, but Jake Rubel, who I worked with, very funny, uh, featured for me, very funny. My family enjoyed him, uh, and uh, I hung with him. We had cigars together, which I love, uh, and it was cold. So he let us, you know, me and Jake sat in his, his Jeep with the heat on and smoke cigars, which I'm a big fan of. I used to do that in the Volvo, my car that had 317,000 miles. I used to go all over the place. I remember being up in Illinois when it was like one degree and I had the car running and the heat on and I'm just smoking a cigar and I got my arm out the window and snow is falling down on my arm and I'm like, that's the best. Um, so what am I talking about? Okay. So, oh, so Jake used to be a Pentecostal preacher and then he is now a comedian. And uh, I told him that's, you know, we're, we're like living the reverse life. Me and Jake look similar. Our, our, our features, we had glasses, beard, uh, long hair, you know. Um, so uh, I told him that's probably my direction. I'm going to be a comic and then a preacher. I don't know if that's true, but who knows, right? But uh, who would even listen to me? I don't know, but... This is exciting. So I had a great time there. But let me talk about where I'm going. Um, I'm going to the Funny Bone in Columbus, Ohio, which is very exciting for me, and I'll tell you why. But first, I want to tell you that I'm taking a comic with me that I'm very excited. Aaron Weber is going to be back on the road with me. Me and Aaron haven't been out on the road in a long time. And the last time we were on the road together, I, th I believe – it was when we went to Georgia. Now, we could have gone somewhere else since then, but I think it was the last time we were on the way to Georgia where I was driving really fast and driving crazy, and Aaron told me that I was driving like a maniac, which hit me in a very personal way because Aaron's rode with me a bunch of times. So for him to say I'm driving like a maniac, I must have really been driving like a maniac because he's drove with me. I mean, we've drove through the Upper Peninsula uh, of Michigan together, and I'm just, I'm rolling out on roads, at, it's like 45 miles an hour, I'm going like 70, and we're just rolling out, and he never said a word, so for him to say, you're driving like a maniac, I had to really check myself, do I drive better, I don't know, that's debatable, but I did begin to think about it, so we're gonna go back out on the road, I mean, Aaron is big time now, he's a superstar, he's on the Nate Bergazzi podcast. He's doing drive-in shows with Nate. He's a real superstar. Uh, so I'm excited to have him back with me. 
And we're going to Columbus, Ohio. And the thing that's exciting for me about Columbus, Ohio is in 2015, maybe 2014, when I really tried to make the leap to go full-time comedy, I had um, moved to Nashville in 2014 in April, and I got a job back working with the Spectricide. I was selling pesticides, and uh, I still need to do that episode. But um, I was... um, I did that all that, oh, so it was 2015, because I did Spectricide all that spring and summer, and then when that job was over, because it was a seasonal job, my plan was to go full-time comedy. That was my goal. I was like, that, that is how I had it set up. I was like, I'll take this seasonal job, and then when this job ends, I'll go full-time comedy. And I, was, I had moved into a room, an addict room, which was $250 a month, very hot up there, very hot in the summer, very cold in the winter. I had a lot of great times up there, I will be honest. And uh, I was in a, yeah, I was in a good place and I, it felt good. But, um, but it was a tiny room and I started working the road and then I was, um, I worked, I did a show with Chris Killian and Chris Killian is a comic here in Nashville, now, now writes for comicbook.com, does a lot of videos there. And Chris, I did one show with him, and he said, hey, I know you do stuff for the Comedy Zone. He said, do you want to go on the road with me? You want to feature for me uh, all my Comedy Zone gigs? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I picked up a bunch of gigs with Chris. And then one weekend, me and Chris were going up to Milwaukee to do Jokers, a club called Jokers, which was a club that was attached to a – it was in the basement attached to a sports bar and a strip club. And so you got – free access to the strip club if you were uh, working the club. Um, So we did go up there. And I got to tell you, though, ever since I've been sober, a strip club is really not fun. It's amazing how things change when you see them with sober eyes. You know, you, you, you go into a place and you, like, start to, like, empathize with people. You start to be like, oh, I bet this girl doesn't want to do this job. And that may not be true. She may love it. I, this is my own judgment I'm passing. But I just go up there and I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, you almost want to give them money and just be like, I don't want the lap dance. I just want to give you the money. Um, so, but I didn't have any money, really, at the time. So, um so we went up there, and I watched Chris uh, talk to a girl, and like Chris, like immediately, like bonded with a, a stripper, and she came, ended up coming to our show, and you know, and uh, I always felt like I looked poor, like I look like I when I walk into a strip club, people don't see me and go, "This is a big spender right here. Let's get on this guy." Right? Uh, I think I went to one. The last one I went to was in Louisiana at a uh, had a flannel shirt on, and uh, I was not getting any love. That's okay. I didn't want any. I just went there with another comic that I was working the road with. And uh, the strip club was right next to our hotel. And he was like, you want to go over there? And uh, I was like, I was pretty bored. And I was like, yeah, I'll go. And uh, it was fun, but we did nothing. So anyway, the point is, me and Chris Killing, we are up there. We're doing this, uh, we're doing this uh, club jokers. And I got a call. I got an email from Dave Stroop, a guy who I had been emailing relentlessly to get a showcase. And he's like, can you come up here on Thursday? And I was like, yes, I can. So I drove up on Thursday and I, I didn't have a hotel. I had to get my own place to stay and there was no money involved, but it was a showcase. So I got to showcase for Dave Stroop at the Columbus Funny Bone 
to be a funny bone performer. And I crushed it. I had such a great set. And Dave Stroop gave me like 11 weekends right there on the spot. So it was, had Chris Killian not given me all the Comedy Zone gigs, I might have, yeah, this was early 2015, and I was considering uh, going back to work for Spectreside again because I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm not making a lot of money. And it was Chris Killian giving me the Comedy Zone gigs that really go, I said, okay, all right, I won't take the job back. I still need money, but I won't take the job back because I'm, Chris Killian's giving me these gigs. And then that, I got, boom, Funny Bone Weekends, 11 weekends right there on the spot. And I was like, oh, man, I'm all set. So my 2015 year was like set early on. I was like, boom, this is awesome. And then, so I did all of the Funny Bones. I mean, there's a couple I didn't do. I didn't do Omaha. I didn't do Cleveland. But I did most of the Funny Bones and improvs that Dave Stroop books. And it was like, it was amazing. I mean, I ended up, I ended up getting 15, I think, throughout the year. Uh, and it was really great for me. And, and then the Columbus Funny Bone, that one that I auditioned in, they built a new one. Now they have this giant theater. So later in 2015, maybe 2016, I went back and I featured for a comic named Chris Frangiola at the Columbus Funny Bone. And Chris uh, was so funny and so nice. He ended up being, you know, one of my favorite comics that I've ever worked with. I, I enjoyed him a lot. And it was so big. And then by the end of the year, I think it was by the year, end of the year 2015. So it was 15. And Dave Stroop emailed me and he said, hey, send me an email. Let me know all the clubs you worked and when you worked them. And I'm thinking, all right, he's about to line me up with dates. I'm so pumped. I did it that night. I wrote everything down. And, and then I sent it to him. And then I got like one gig a year from then on out. And I was so bummed. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was told... That's just how it goes, right? Like, Dave, he'll find somebody he likes. He works them real hard a year, and then, and then he finds somebody else he likes. And from the aspect of trying to get new guys reps and trying to keep fresh people in your clubs, that's the way to go. But for me personally, I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be the guy that he was booking all the time. So this will be my first time going back to the Columbus Funny Bone since 2015. And I'm very excited. So it's such a big club, and uh, I'm so pumped to be going back. And uh, I'll be going. Uh, my wife will be going with me, uh, and uh, Aaron Weber will be cruising up, uh, spending Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, at um, the Columbus Funny Bone. And it's going to be exciting. It's, I'm very pumped to be going back. Um, the Funny Bone people are so great, and I'm just, I can't. I can't believe I'm going back. So this, and I'm going back as the headliner. I'm not going back as a feature. I'm a headliner. I have a hard time sometimes believing that I am headlining the Funny Bones. I mean, when I was featuring at the Funny Bones, I mean, I felt top of the world. I was like, this is amazing. And now to be headlining them, even more amazing. What a life that we have out here. You know what I mean? Life is very unpredictable. You don't know where things will be. One minute you're uh, I can't get any more gigs featuring for the Funny Bones. The next minute, I'm headlining the Funny Bones. It's a wild, wild world out here. But on Sunday, I was driving home, and I was sometimes on my drive homes. So I get very um, philosophical in a way, and I was just like, I had wrote down all these things, you know, like 
uh, you know, like don't let people tell you how to think and stuff like that. I just remember I wrote, I do remember, I just wrote right here, don't let people tell you how or what to think. And I just think that's such great advice because in a world where everything around us is telling us what to think, telling us how to think, don't let people do it. Don't let them own your mind. No one owns your mind. Inside your head, that's that's what you have. And it's like, it's... Um, I just, when I was in high school, uh, my art teacher, Mr. Conway, Mr. Con his name is Jeff, and I saw him not too long ago at a bar, and we were hanging out, and he was like, call me Jeff, and I'm like, I understand that you want to be called Jeff because that's your name, but you were my teacher every year when I was in high school. I took his class every year, and he was n known as Mr. Conway. How do you go from Mr. to Jeff? I mean, you're a, an authority figure to me. You're always going to be Mr. Conway. But anyway, Mr. Conway used to say to us all the time, you're only limited by your imagination. That's what he would say about our artwork. And he would say, I don't give a hundreds in here. 99 is the best you're going to get out of me because no artwork is ever perfect. And I, and I, 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 I love that. And he said, you know, quality over quantity. That's what he said to us, quality over quantity. He says, I don't care if you take the entire year to work on one project, just make sure that project is worthy of the time that you spent on it. And that's how I feel about so many things. That's how I feel about comedy. I get it that everybody wants to make money, but when Bill Burr and Louis C.K. and everybody I know is putting out a Netflix special every year, I'm like, I get it that you wanna make the money and I, I would not tell anybody not to make the money. But he's just like, I think about, you know, some of the early specials that I saw from, from Bill Burr, and I was just blown away. And then he started putting them out every year, and I'm like, yeah, it's still funny because it's Bill Burr, and he's like the best, right? But how funny would it be if he took two years to develop those jokes instead of a year? How great would it be? So I've always been quality over quantity, and you're, 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 uh, that's why I like, I mean, I like to tell a joke over and over again because the joke actually gets better. If you're always thinking about the joke and you're always telling it and you're always searching for that thing that's going to make it a little bit more funny, it gets funnier. The joke gets better and I feel like you get better at telling it. And the joke itself becomes like a little poem or a little song that you've now, that you now work and you deliver it in such a way that uh, when it comes out, I mean, it just, it flows and you feel good telling it and it's exciting. Um, I don't think you don't get that by just cranking them out. Now, other people could argue, well, uh, I'd rather hear, uh, new jokes all the time than s the same joke getting better. And I don't know, but you're also, uh, you know, Mr. Conway would say you're only limited by your imagination, meaning, you can do whatever you want in here. The, your only limit is how much you can create. And that's how I also think about jokes. It's like, I got jokes about Q-tips, you know what I mean? And lately people have been bringing me a lot of Q-tips. It's really, uh, it really makes me want to write jokes about things that are more expensive, uh, you know, and people bring, but maybe that's why they bring me Q-tips because it's, it's cheap, and they know that it brings me a lot of pleasure, Q-tips do. And so uh, I appreciate that. But um, um, 
you know, but it's like you can write a joke about Q-tips and it can be observational, but you can also like dig into your imagination and say, how can I make this creative? That's what I say about clean comedy. I feel like a lot of clean comedy and the reason people don't like it is because a lot of clean comedy is cheesy and I get it. I mean, I'm 100% with you. I mean, the majority of the comedy I like is dirty comedy because it's not cheesy. I don't like cheesy comedy. But clean doesn't have to be cheesy. I know that I've talked about the Dookie joke before, but I'm going to talk about it because uh, it, it, it is something that I was going to talk about last week, and then I recorded it on a you know 20 minutes of a podcast that I ended up deleting. Uh, or I don't know if I deleted it. It's, it's floating around somewhere on a card. But in Chattanooga, I had a friend come. His name's Mark. I won't go into his last name and whatnot. And he, he – I used to go to a church with him. I used to go to this church with him back in the day. And when I first start, you know, I, I used to, I used to go to church. And then a lot of times I would get, I was, the moment I'd leave church, I'd go meet my buddies at a bar, you know, and then we'd drink the rest of the day on Sunday. And every once in a while, I would skip church altogether and go drink. I mean, I had a place called Jeans Hofbrau, which was in West Ashley, outside of Charleston, where my buddy Jason Gross bartended. And and forgive me if I told this last week, because like I say, I recorded about 20 minutes of a podcast, and then I was like, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. And I know I talked about this on there. But Jason Gross, uh, a friend of mine who did improv and stand-up with me, and, you know, um, me and my buddies like John Brennan, Derek Humphrey, we would all go, um, John Ballard, we would go meet over at uh, Gene's Hofbrau, and we would drink and uh, Jason would have these pitchers of mimosas, which would be like a full craft of cheap champagne and then like a little cup of orange juice. And we would just we would just tear. I mean, we would usually be two to a craft. But as the drinking got heavier for me and as my physical body got heavier, I would do my own craft and I'd get wasted. I, I mean, I've been I've, I've drank, you know, we drank mimosas in the morning, had, you know, shrimp and grits and then. When, you know, once the football game started to come on, we would switch to liquor or uh, Coors Heavy. I like the Coors Banquet beer. People don't call it the Coors Heavy like me, but it's like, you know, it's like a, the equivalent to a Budweiser, which they call Bud Heavy, uh, to the Coors Light. And uh, I love a Coors Heavy. I hate a Coors Light, but a Coors Heavy is a really delicious beer. So I'd go in, I'd start drinking those. I'd do a couple of whiskey shots. We're still around one, two o'clock. And after you, you down a couple of pitchers of mimosas and then throw on a shot of wild turkey, it's going to turn your stomach in such a way. And I, had a, I have a stomach that just gives me all kinds of problems now, and this is probably uh, a lot to do with it. why, because I drank Cokes my whole life growing up. As I've said before, my dad would pour Coke on the corrosion on a battery of a car and eat the corrosion away and then hand me the rest and say, here, drink this. Um, and I did it with joy on my face. And so I'm doing that. And then as I'm getting older, I'm pounding acidic orange juice with cheap champagne and then throwing on some wild turkey. I've been known to go out in front of Gene's Hofbrau and throw up and then come back and keep drinking uh, on more than one occasion. I've been punched in the face by a female firefighter inside of Gene's Hofbrau. Um, Gene's Hofbrau brought me a lot of joy and a lot of memories. I won't None of them were really painful. I mean, I didn't like getting punched in the face, but I didn't mind it, you know. I've been punched in the face a lot. I don't ever like it, but I also usually was drunk enough to where I was like, this is pretty fun. You know what I mean? I don't care. Anyway, self-destruction. 
So I'm, we used to, I don't even know why I'm talking about, oh yes, I do. So uh, I would go to jeans and there was this guy I used to go to church with named Terry McKelvey and Terry, his daughter, Erica, makes hats for me now. She makes uh, my leather patch hats, ericalynn.com, I think is how you would find her. Uh, I wish I had a, the actual way to find her. But anyway, order a hat. They're coming. She's got me some coming back in. You order a hat. There'll be a little thing to link on there. She does great work. But her dad, Terry, had been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, we had gone to church together. And uh, on the days I would skip church, I would be out front of jeans, you know, drinking, smoking cigarettes in the heat, in that Charleston heat. And Terry would cruise by on his way home from church and see me sitting out there, and he would shoot me a little text, never too judgmental, but he would be like, oh, and enjoying a couple of adult beverages today, huh? So it would always hit me in a way where I was like, all right, he's got me. I shouldn't be out here doing this. But I was having a great time. So when I quit drinking eventually, I reached out to Terry and wanted to see what church he was involved with, wanted to you know, get more back into church. And uh, so Terry invited me to a small group that he was doing. And if you're not in the church culture, a small group is just where, you know, eight to 10 people will get together outside of the church, meet at a home somewhere and, you know, do a Bible study and mainly just have fellowship and just hang out with each other and bond. And so I went to this first one and we were all sharing stuff about each other. And I shared that I had just quit drinking and just quit smoking cigarettes. And uh, I became an instant hero of the, uh, of the group because you know, everybody, every church group loves a good redemption story. And that is true. Uh, some of these church groups can be a bit like an AA meeting of people who are like, I used to do a bunch of bad stuff and now I'm a little bit better. You know, I mean, are we ever totally better? I don't know. But so I'm uh, in there and I start going to that church group. And then eventually I start going to the church they go to. And then I go on a men's retreat out into the woods, me and a group of men, Terry included. Terry is a hell of a cook. And so we're out there in the woods. We're, um, we're camping. We got no cell phones. And that was, you know, before I was addicted to my phone as much as I am now. But even at that time, I was pretty addicted. And it was nice to just shut that thing down and camp for a few days. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to go to sleep without looking at your phone first? Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up without checking your phone first thing. Um, I know that is the habit that I'm in. I wish it wasn't true, but it is true. And so we're out there. We're camping, us men. We're not really roughing it because Terry is whipping up meals that are just delicious. And we've been out there for a few days, and we start. And, I'm, and I don't know if I'd quit Spectracide or not yet, but I was on my way out either way. Even, but even if I just quit, I was still in that mindset a little bit. And that mindset is that I was controlled by my bosses. I was enslaved by debt. You know, I was a debt slave to the banks. I was a, and I needed money from Spectracide. So I was enslaved to Spectracide. And I was just trapped in this place where I'm like, I needed uh, the job to pay the debt off of the car that I had bought, but I needed the car to keep the job. And I was just in this place. And, and then I was drinking and smoking so much that my endorphins would oftentimes be crushed. And I would be in a state of sadness because of how much I had drank and smoked. I could barely breathe and my brain wasn't functioning fully. So you know, so I'm still in a little bit of that mindset, although I have regained my life back at this point and I am feeling the freedom. But we're out there and one night we're just sitting around the campfire, just a small group of us and the conversation, Mark brings this up, the conversation of 
what would you do for a million dollars? And, you know, as I say in the joke and as it is in reality, that question made me really nervous because I'm a really honest person. And um, at that time, I would do almost anything for a million dollars, right? So I was like... And we were on a church trip, right? And you know where this question always goes. If you've ever, if you've ever sat around with a group of guys and brought this question up, inevitably it goes to S and a D, right? And I'm sorry to say that like that, but I don't know another way to say it. So when, um, and if you don't know what that means, don't look it up. And um, so when Mark asked the question, it made me nervous. And then he said, would you eat a piece of poop the size of a fun-size Snickers bar. And I was relieved because I know for a million dollars, I would eat a king-size dookie, right? At least that was at the time. So this is a two-fold thing. I want to tell this story, but also I want to say, people really like that joke. It's disgusting, but people really like that joke. And I think the reason they liked it is because I would say king-size dookie, right? And I wasn't being vulgar. I wasn't cussing, right? So me telling myself that I have to be clean, but I'm only limited by my imagination, uh, as Mr. Conway would say, it, it opened the door for me to find different words, you know, instead of saying shit or crap or poop, I searched for that fun, creative word, which ultimately led me to dookie, which is fun. It's an amateur joke and I move past it, but it is on my CD making that fudge. And uh, if you want to hear it, and um, so, so, you know, we go on, and then Mark says, Mark says to me, the guy who posed the question, who was obviously in a better place in his life than I was, he said to me, I would never do that. I wouldn't defile my body in that way. And I'm like, oh, well, Mr. Big Time here, you know? And uh, so later... <sighs> They start telling that because a lot of these guys have been friends for a long time. So they start t telling stories on each other. And Mark says, uh, they start telling stories on Mark. They said they were sitting around their house one night and they were on the back deck and they had a dog that had just had puppies. And that dog was just laid out on its back and it had these big dog nipples just sticking out. And they said to Mark, they said, we dare you to get down there and drink some milk from one of those dog nipples, right? And Mark, the guy who would not defile his body in this way, said, how much? And so they raised up like 20 bucks. And so for 20 bucks, he got down and drank milk from a dog nipple. Now, I don't know that he put his mouth on the nipple, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that's grosser, but it doesn't matter. The fact that he drank the milk from the nipple at all is disgusting. And for 20 bucks, he wouldn't eat a fun-size Snickers bar for a million dollars, a piece of poop, fun-size Snickers bar size for a million dollars, but he would drink uh, dog nipple milk for 20 bucks. So I was like, well, maybe I'm just not clear on what the word defile means. But Mark and his wife came to my show in Chattanooga, and it was great to see him. I really liked him. He was a very funny guy, and I was happy. I liked them both. I was happy that they both came. And, uh, and I wanted to tell that story. I meant to tell it last week, and then I just, I don't know. I don't even know what I was talking about last week. Um, it was a good time. I mean, from week to week, who knows, right? I'm sitting down in my house, and I'm going, all right, I got to – I, got, I, I like doing the podcast, right? But I also don't feel like that I uh, 
am as free as I would like to be to talk, right? I mean, I, I want to talk about things. And throughout the week, I think of things and I write them down. And then when I get here, I go, maybe that's a little too serious to talk about. And so I just try to make this in a way. I also, you know, I have people that have come up to me lately and they say, hey, I really enjoy that you talk about religion. You talk about church. You talk about Jesus because they say people don't talk about it anymore. And that's absolutely true. People don't talk about it anymore. And you don't have to talk about it. But that's uh, it's been a thing in my life, my whole life. And I like talking about it. So. And I also want to say I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast with Matthew McConaughey, and I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. I don't, not for any other reason, uh, mainly it's too long for me. I like to do an hour-long podcast because I think that is the length of time that a podcast should be. Who am I to say he has the most popular podcast in the world? I'm just saying it's too long for me. But on my way back from Indiana, I listened to it, and I really enjoyed it. And then since then, I've seen on Twitter what I thought was a misdirection. People would people put out articles almost slamming Matthew McConaughey for the things that he said. And I just, I don't know. I don't know how you listen to what he said and come away with that with some negative point of view. And I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. I mean, for some reason, like religion is really on on the you know on attack. But to me, I believe that whatever religion that you are, I mean, if your religion teaches you um, now, I believe Christianity is the way, and I believe Jesus is the only way, right? But it's like, why else? Why would I not believe that if that's my religion, right? So, but I think if your religion teaches you uh, good morals and values, then it's good. It's good to do that, right? So I don't think that any of them should be shunned or slammed. And I also have talked to a couple people that had, um, um, you know, different religions. And, I, and, and it's come to my, you know, I guess I've known this for a while, but it's really come to my attention that people that were raised the most religious in the strictest households, they are the ones that ultimately reject religion as they get older. And I remember when I was working at Western Sizzling back in the day, there was a girl I really wanted to date. And I ended up going to church with her one time, and she was going to this holiness church uh, in Beulah, Alabama. And uh, you would have to live around the area to be familiar with Beulah. But I went there, and I'd been to a lot of churches. I like church, right? So I was like, yeah, I'll go. And I got there, and I had not been to a holiness church. And they were yelling, and they were talking in tongues. And there was a girl there who was about my age at the time who had gotten pregnant. And they were like, I guess she wasn't married. And they were praying over her, and they were surrounding her and laying hands on her and praying. And I mean, I thought they were about to break out snakes. And I think the girl fell to the ground. And it was just like, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's intense, right? And I can see how if you grow up in that, like your parents are making you go to that, and I'm not saying this is wrong, by the way, but I can see how if you grow up in that, you would reject religion when you got older. You would be like, I just want to live my life. You know, I just want to live my life in, in, in freedom and not have to worry about that. And oftentimes the church itself can impose uh, laws and restrictions on you that uh, are not necessarily biblical, right? And I know there are things in the Bible that people can point to and they can say, um, 
uh, well, what about when the Bible says this or the Bible says that? And you know what? I can't answer for everything. I, I never, never will be able to answer for them. Uh, but I know that my understanding of the Bible is that it's like God gave us this Bible. This is my belief. And he said, do these things. And, um, uh, and, and, you know, it's like, I've talked about the 10 commandments in the past where it's like the first four commandments are how to worship God. And the next six are how you serve your fellow man, which are all pretty basic principles. And if you live that way, um, you know, in general, your life is going to be better and the people's lives around you are going to be better. And, you know, and it's like, I think that there are, um, um, you know, I mean, there are things that people are always going to have problems with, and, and I understand that, but I wanted to talk about two particular verses uh, of the Bible. One is one of my favorites, and it comes from Jesus, and it says, if the world hate you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And that's John 15, 18 through 19. And I just think that's a fun verse, right? Because I talked about that a little bit last week. I mean, sometimes I do hate the world, right? It's like a... It's like an awful, violent place. I mean, there's things that I love. I love people. I don't hate people. But the world itself, it just feels so toxic sometimes where it's like, that's why I love comedy. Because for an hour a day, I just, you know, I go stand in a room and I just tell things to people and they laugh and it's a lot of fun and I love that. But then there's another. This, was a, this is a scary one to me. Uh, this is always scary. I think about this. This is Matthew... Um, uh, 7, uh, 21 through 23. It says, not everyone that say, this is also Jesus, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. And this is the scary one. Oh no, here, here. many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. This is the scary part. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's scary. Oh, man, that's scary. So, um, and that's, but it's like, the Bible is filled with great things and and fun things, but there are some scary things in there too. And, um, um, but I just think that, to me, it's not about churches or buildings. I was part. I was. I was going to a church a little bit for a little while, more of a mega church in Charleston, and they would, you know, sell shirts, and the shirts would say, "I love my church," right? And I'm like, "Well, if you love the church, I, I feel like you're missing the point, right?" And that's why I don't really go to church. I like the Bible, and I like to try to live in a way that's respectful of people. Do I always succeed? No. And uh, am I always the best person? No. And, and, and I, I wrote this down, and I just wanted to say, you know, you will do and probably have done things you regret. Uh, and, 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 and this is speaking to people, you know, that are uh, thinking about religion or uh, used to be religious or just live with the regret. And I say, you know, God will forgive you. That's the amazing thing, that you don't have to live in the pain of regret 
uh, that Jesus will take that from you. And it is amazing. And I know a lot of people will abuse that and say, well, I'll do whatever I want. And then I just ask for forgiveness. And I don't think that's the way it works. I don't think you just do whatever you want and go, well, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. But it's like, if you are used to, you know, like you used to be religious or whatever, and you're like, or, or you want to be religious, but you're like, oh, I've done so, so many bad things. Um, there is forgiveness and there is a, and I know that a lot of people are in pain and that's why I want to talk about this. I don't want to talk. I'm not trying to recruit for a church. I'm not trying to gain uh, favor with people over these sorts of things. I genuinely feel like there are a lot of people in the world that are in pain, that feel like the world hates them, that feels like they don't fit in. And the reason they reject Jesus is because of some way that they grew up, some church that they went to, some quote-unquote religious people they knew, or they look at negative things that they see about churches. I mean, I know, you know, I know a lot of good Catholic people, but the Catholic church has had a number of negative things against them that you, you see that and you go, oh gosh, how could I ever be a part of that? But it's like, uh, those are all worldly problems. You can cut through all of that and go directly to Jesus and, and have all that weight lifted off of you and be free and be happy. And there is no guarantee in the Bible. There is no guarantee that says, if you do this, you will be happy from here on out. But it does say, my burden is light. Um, um, and I just think that, I don't know, I think it's great. And I only say that as a positive message to people, to let them know that I think that scary verse is more directed at religious people who do good works but don't have a connection to the Holy Spirit, right? It's like, he says, well, we, we, we prophesied in your name and we did all these things. And he's like, depart from me, I never knew you. So you could, you know, so you look at some religious person and you think, oh, I'll never be like them. Well, maybe you're not supposed to be like them. You're only supposed to be like you. And I wrote another thing. This is non-religious thing, but I, I want to just read this. Uh, I wrote this in the car, so if this doesn't make sense. But I say, we are trained from the moment that we start school to go with the flow. Is that not true? I mean, it's like, the mo you're like, you got to wake up, you got to be in, in class, and then you're there from eight to three or four, and then you get out, and then it's like, but you don't, and, and my take is, you don't have to go with the flow. Uh, you can if you want to, and that's okay but you don't have to. Be your own person. Be who you want to be. You don't have to worry about what's going on around you. Many times in my life, people have told me to do something, uh, not to do something. That Many times in my life, people have told me not to do something that I did anyway, and it worked out great for me. But always think, always think your own mind. Don't let people tell you how to think. Always think, plan. And then I want to give some examples. For me, moving from Alabama to Charleston was one of those things where people said, oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't move from here, you know. People are the same everywhere. You're not going to find anything new. You're just going to move away from everybody that you know. And then, uh, and that worked out great for me. Comedy started there. My, my, I had a whole career and I had a whole bunch of friends and family. I worked for Spectreside while I was there. And then ultimately... Quitting Spectre aside, people were like, oh, don't do it. Not in this economy. Don't quit that job. Don't lose that job. And I did, and it worked out for me. And then uh, selling my car 
uh, people were like, oh, gosh, don't sell your car. How are you going to get around? What are you going to do? But I did it anyway. And then moving from Charleston to Nashville, people are like, what? You're moving to Nashville to pursue comedy? What are you doing? Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. But I did it anyway. And then ultimately becoming a comic, uh, people didn't tell me not to do it, but it's one of those things where people will say, people will tell you not to do it, uh, chances are, and they'll go, oh, you know, oh, you're, oh, it's too early for you to do that, or oh, you're never going to make money, or oh, you know how few people make it as a comic, oh, and, but I did it anyway, and I did all of those things. Uh, but I always planned when I quit Spectracide, I knew that I was going to quit. I knew a year before I quit that I was going to quit. I would have quit a year earlier, but I, as I've said in the old podcast, I got a boss who was my friend and I was like, oh, I'll stick around with this guy. I like him. If he's my boss, I'll stick around. So I did, but I knew I was going to quit and I planned it. I put money away. I made, you know, and then when I wanted to go full time as a comic, I knew what I had to do and I planned it and I ultimately I couldn't say what the future was going to hold with it. I couldn't say that I'm going to do this perfectly and then everything's going to work out. Who who knows what's going to work out? And I had a friend, he moved to Chicago to pursue comedy and then he ended up um you know working giving tours at a brewery. And when I went to visit him, I felt like he was almost like trying to say, oh, I still do comedy a little bit. He was almost trying to apologize for his life that he had chosen because he wasn't doing comedy anymore. And I was like, dude, you got to do what makes you happy. You don't like if you set out to be a comic, but you decide that you don't want to do it anymore. Well, that's your choice. That is you not going with the flow. That is you deciding, hey, I want to do what I want to do. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's amazing. When I quit drinking, I almost quit comedy. I've said this a million times. I almost quit comedy. And I feel like that um, I that mindset of I have to do comedy, that's what I want to do, was taken from me to show that my purpose in life is not to be a comic, right? My, that's not my purpose in life, but I'm, I have a higher purpose, I believe. But comedy is something that I want to do and I'm good at and I enjoy making, you know, and I make money this way. And it's like, it's a beautiful thing. But it is not my calling, I don't think. I have a higher purpose, but I can do this until um until i decide not to or um you know for the rest of my life i can do comedy and still you know uh you know follow my higher calling and i i believe that's true and i believe that's true for all of us i mean you know there are many people that go into um different kind of work i mean i know people that 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 tell me they've they've gone into the medical field field because they enjoy helping people. They want to be a help to people. And I think that's great. I, you know, it's like we're, we're not all uh, destined to do certain things, but we've been given gifts and we are able to put those gifts to work. But I think, you know, I always think about the Ten Commandments, especially even if you're not religious, the second six commandments, the last six, are all about how to serve your fellow man. And I feel like if you're doing those things, you can do those at any time, whatever job you're working, whatever you're doing, and ultimately make other people's lives better. 
And I think it's so important that we just, you know, we try to help people. We try to make their lives better. Like I used to see homeless people on the street smoking cigarettes and go, oh, you ain't got no money for food, but you sure can get some cigarettes, right? And now I look at it and I go, jeez, I mean, can you imagine living on the street? It's like a cigarette might be your only moment of happiness, right? So I try to save uh, my judgment for, uh, you know, because I never know. You never know where you might be. I mean, I like to think that I couldn't be homeless tomorrow, but it could lead to that. Um, so uh, I th- hope that this podcast was inspirational to you in some way. I mean, because that's all I want it to be. I only want it to be something that is is going to help people, you know, and it's like, I have more, I have many more to talk about. I also want to continue the seaside journey. Um, I just have some different plans. I actually may start that whole thing over again and do a better episode one. I'm going to interview all the people that uh, used to go on those trips with me and were involved in those sorts of things with me. And I think that's going to make a better, more well-rounded podcast about it. But I felt inclined to do this because various people have been put in my path over the last couple of weeks that spoke to me about religion in some kind of way. And, and I just, you know, I, I, I think it's important. I think that it is not about enhancing your church. It is not about um, being seen by others as some good and holy person because who is good and holy? I mean, really. I mean, who among us is not out here messing up? But that doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship. You can't have a spiritual connection. And I think it'd be worth it, anybody, to listen to that Joe Rogan, Matthew McConaughey podcast. I've, I found it to be really, really informative. And, and this is coming from a person that doesn't listen. I'm not obsessed with celebrities by any means. I've always enjoyed Matthew McConaughey. Uh, maybe it's because we look exactly alike. Ha ha, right? That was supposed to be. I wish I had a laughing button, but I don't. Um, but no, I've always enjoyed Matthew McConaughey. I think he's so great. And But I don't worship celebrities by any means. I don't follow Matthew McConaughey on Instagram. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. And um, <clears throat> But I enjoyed what he had to say. And I enjoyed, because uh, my understanding is that Joe Rogan oftentimes makes fun and laughs at Christians. But in this podcast, he didn't. And um, I just thought All Around was really good. I recommend it for people. Um, I felt like there was something else I wanted to recommend. But listen to some Cody Jenks. I mean, that Hippies and Cowboys song, that's really good. Um, really a good, good listen. Um, and I think... That is all that I have. If you're not religious and you like my podcast for other... Oh, oh, you know what? I wanted to do something. Um, I wanted to answer an email, but I got... I've drank a lot of water and coffee, and I feel like I have to pee pretty bad. But I, um, I got... Um, oh, I got a question from, from, a, from a listener. So I'm going to answer this. I'm going to read this. Hi, Dusty. Or it says, hey, hey, Dusty, big fan of your comedy and podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm a, newer comu- uh, I'm a newer comedian about two years in, and I'm curious to get your take on how to approach storytelling on stage and during the writing process. 
I'm more interested in telling stories over one-liners, but I've definitely noticed that stories usually don't go over well at open mics due to the smaller, non-existent crowds and the lower attention span. I totally understand that this is how open mics generally function, and they are opportunities to learn and develop, but it can make it difficult sometimes to gauge whether a story is going to work in a show setting. I've started to get booked on shows a bit more over the last six months, and I can see a huge difference with the audience reaction in stories when they are engaging, engaged and listening. So my question to you is, how do you approach storytelling on stage and in the writing process? Lots of stories that I tell will have gaps of 30 to 60 seconds between laughs in order to build the tension to provide necessary details. Do you try and always have a punchline every few sentences, or do you think it's going to drag it out? Do, or do you think it's okay to drag it out a bit for certain jokes? A lot of times I struggle to fit in punchlines to stories because they come off as forced and unnatural. Any advice on how you approach punchlines and stories during the writing process? Okay. Unfortunately, I don't think there is an easy fix. I don't think there's a way that you can just go, I'm going to start adding punchlines and I'm going to start making this better. And that's how I'll do it. I do think it's better to have punchlines throughout your stories. Uh, I would say something to do is listen to someone like James Gregory, uh, Ron White, um, uh, Jerry Clower. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I'd like to think of some more, uh, even go to This Is Not Happening, uh, listen to some of those stories, listen to, in, in fact, there is a, who was that guy, uh, he got in trouble for some stuff, but he, um, really, really funny guy, damn, damn, I can't think of this guy's name now, but go to This Is Not Happening, and I'll, I'll respond to your email with that once I find it, but uh, I wish I could think of his name, um, he used to come to Charleston a bunch, um, well, I'm not going to come up with it. Uh, but I would just listen to uh, Kyle Kinane is one. He tells a lot of stories. Just listen to these stories and listen to how they tell them. I mean, sometimes it's all about inflection. Sometimes it's not about throwing in a punchline, but it's throwing in something that is funny. For me, when I, I think a good way to practice it is if you have some really long story, try to take just a segment of that story and try to see if you can't make that funny. Like if the story's three minutes, Try to see if you can't tell one minute of that story at an open mic and just see what kind of laughs you can get. Try to break the story down into segments and try to make each part of it funny because early on when I was trying to do stories, I would find it really hard to tell them because I would try to write the story out so that I was I was on the money with it and I wanted to get laughs. And also, the, the, the longer you tell do comedy, the more comfortable you will be with silence. But I'm still not completely comfortable with it in the fact that if I tell a long story that's leading up to a big punchline um, and uh, that punchline doesn't hit, then you've essentially wasted the audience's time because they're just there to be made laugh. I got a thing that I'm doing right now where I'm talking about how uh, I'm telling a story about being in an auto parts store. And if I can feel the audience... Uh, you know, checking out of the story. And I'm like, because my payoff at the end is not that good. So I'm trying to make it funny all along the way. That way, if the payoff at the end is not as good, it doesn't matter because they laugh the whole time. But I, um, 
I'll say towards the end, I'll go, all right, listen, it seems like you guys are checking out of this story, and I just want you to know the punchline at the end is not going to be the big payoff. It's not going to be the payoff that you hoped it would be. So I need you to get on board right now because this is where it's the funniest. I think the more comfortable you get, the better. And, I mean, I would say, like, if you have a story, uh, and this is another thing that I try to do. Sometimes I'll think of one-liners or I'll think of little jokes, and I'm like, I can tell them and they'll get laughs, but stand alone, they're not very funny. But uh, if you can, you know, just save them, write them down, put them somewhere. And then later when you have that long story that you're trying to tell, you might be like, oh, I can work this into that story. Like, for instance, I had a joke where I say I have small talk Tourette's. Meaning, like, I'm like, I got to do it. I got to small talk with people. And that's funny. It's fine. But once I put it into another story, it like really brought it to life and brought the rest of the story to life. So don't get discouraged on your storytelling. Do try to add in as many punchlines as possible, but don't make it unnatural. And a lot of it is just going to be trial and error. Know that you will you will fail a lot, but ultimately that doesn't mean you'll completely fail. You just will fail a lot on the way to succeeding. So, and you're only limited by your imagination, as Mr. Conway would say, and quality over quantity. So, uh, that goes for punchlines, too. If you got great, great punchlines, it's better than having a bunch of mediocre ones. Um, But uh, I prefer prefer a laugh every 15 seconds. That's how I'm the most comfortable. And that's not always attainable, but that's how I feel the most comfortable. I appreciate the email. Send more emails to me. I like reading them. I'm sorry I forgot that until the very end. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in Columbus, Ohio at the Funny Bone, and we're having a good time.